Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. On the 20th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we find out how to see more of the moor in Exmoor with them all over. We're enlightened to the delights of the Eden Valley and... Also being in those right places at the right time, you know, that's very, very true. You know, I'll go to that spot and I'll bloody wait for it, you know, for that shot to come. Filmmaker Terry Abraham tells us about his latest epic, about a mountain in the Lake District. Hello and you're very welcome to the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide through the next 30 minutes of walking and outdoor chat on the podcast. And this month we've found we've got too much material to squeeze into that 30 minutes. So we've got not one but two editions for you. On the February podcast part two, the editor of Countryfile magazine, Fergus Collins, joins me to reveal and discuss the winners of the 2013 Countryfile Awards. So look out for that on your favourite podcast delivery method. Now, onto this podcast, going out for a walk is easy. Most of us jump into cars and head out, but going in a car limits you to circular walks. So how about using public transport instead? The problem here is that buses don't usually go to the places you want them to for walking. Or do they? Well, there's one service in the Exmoor National Park that does. And Dan James from the National Park is here to explain. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Tell us more about the Moor Rover. The Moor Rover, it's basically it's a flexible service. So within Exmoor National Park, where there isn't other public transport, it's a minibus service that you can book in advance and it will pick you up and drop you off at any point within the area. So that's a really useful service for us walkers as well as the local community. Yes, but it's very much actually been set up really for recreational use. It's run by community transport operators. So they normally deal with local residents, but um, on this occasion they're looking at how they can help leisure users. So yeah, if you want to do a linear walk, for example, you can get the Moor Rover to take you out and then you can walk back to your own car or back to your accommodation and not use your car at all. When did this service start? It started a few years ago and then it's been developing ever since and now it's actually covering the whole of the National Park as well as the Coleridge Way, which is a long distance route linking the National Park with the Contox Hills AONB and it now operates seven days a week all year round. What prices can we expect to pay for journeys, Dan? The prices vary. It's a little bit complicated. The best thing to do is to have a look at the website. But as an example, the prices are based on bands radiating out of Minehead, where the operator is based. Right. And it's for up to four people. So the first band is £10. So if you've got four people, it would cost you £2.50 each. If you've just got one person, obviously it would cost you £10. Okay. It can carry up to 16 passengers. And after four people, it's only a pound extra per person. So... For example, the most expensive is Bandy. That's £30 for one person. If you're splitting that between four, for example, it's £7.50. If you're splitting it between eight of you, it's only £4.25. And that's right at the opposite end of a national park. And that's a, that's a long way, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. And the Coleridge Way is a very busy walk. Tell, tell us more about that. It is, yeah. It's a very popular walk. It follows the foots, really, off Coleridge. We had a cottage in Neverstowe where the walk starts. It crosses the Crontock Hills O&B, then it enters the National Park um, and ends at, at the moment, it ends at Porlock, where Coleridge wrote and spent time with a man from Porlock, Kubla Khan, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, but there's also a lot of connections with Linton Limbus, so this year we're actually looking to extend the Coleridge Way into Linton and Limbus as well. Now this bus service has been expanded and is thriving at a time when other such rural services are under threat, so so what's the secret? Um, I think it's really just been the real commitment of the, it's actually run by a charity and they are very committed to running this, so it started the pilot with some initial funding from Somerset County Council and as you would imagine that's no longer around, mm. um, but they're very committed so they've put in a new pricing structure that means it's viable for them and they are just dead keen to use it and I think people have seen its value and obviously where it particularly works is for groups and lots of accommodation providers are helping to promote it and so everybody's just got behind it because Exmoor doesn't have the best public transport and this just really helps to add to those areas where you can't get a normal service. So you can phone up and book it to come to you at a certain time, is that how it works? Yes, but you do need to book it in advance and they say if you can try and give them 24 hours normally as a minimum and you can phone up any time Monday to Friday 9 to 4 and then you can arrange yes, a, a pick-up point and a drop-off point and they will operate that seven days a week subject to availability of a vehicle and driver. Excellent. So you mentioned that there's a website for more information. What is it? Yeah, the best website is probably Explore More, and that's M-O-O-R, so exploremore.co.uk, and that's got information about the Moore Rover as well as all the other public transport information for Exmoor, and there's also a whole load of walks that you can download, kind of car-free walks and car-free itineraries for the National Park. We like car-free walks here. We do indeed. Good stuff. (laughs) Dan, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. Bye. And as ever, you can find out more information, links, photos and videos on the show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog, which you can find by clicking through from our homepage, walksaroundbutton.co.uk. Now, it's always good to broaden the number of places you go walking and discover new areas. So, to this end... Every so often on the podcast, we'll be talking to people who are well-versed in a particular area to let us all know why it's such a great place to visit and go walking. And the first is the Eden Valley. And there are two experts on the end of this Skype link waiting to describe it. Richard Stables and Len Williams. Thank you both for coming on the podcast. Richard, I'll start with you. Tell me more about the Eden Valley, where it is and what's in it. The Eden Valley area is nicely situated between the Lake District and the North Pennines coming over in the, in the north of England. Whichever way you come into the Eden Valley, you come in over the tops of the hills, you're looking down on sort of a beautiful, wonderful area. It's just just perfect, really. As I said, because of the fact of where it is situated, you're within an hour's drive of most of the beautiful places in the north of England. In itself, it's just ideal as a holiday destination. Then how can you get to it? The thing about Eden is it's so easy to get to, to be honest with you. The main West Coast line for train services come through here. You've got the M6 runs through it. You've got the A66 comes across from the East Coast, runs right from the East Coast to the West Coast. And we're at the crossroads of all these. And it's so easy for people to just get here. And it's easy to get around. can be a little bit difficult on public transport now and again. But as long as you sort of use your common sense you can get around the area and you can see all these wonderful places that we've got to see and historic sites that we have here. 
and have some absolutely great walking and brilliant food and some fantastic accommodation. The, the area itself is, is an absolutely beautiful area and one of the nice things about it is you can actually be raining in the Lake District but in the Eden area you can be nice and dry and sunny because it has its own sort of like little microclimate hence it's called the Valley for fairly obvious reasons when you get here to see it. So it's a really good place to base yourself in or if you're based in the lakes it's not too far eastwards to get to? Oh no, not at all. Say for instance you base yourself somewhere like Appleby or Penrith in that sort of area, even Kirby Stephen, you're within, at the most, 40 minutes of places like Ullswater, Haweswater, which is actually part of the Eden area, and you're in the Lake District National Park from there. But having said that, there's so much to do and see actually in the Eden Valley itself. I sometimes wonder why, if you're based in the Eden Valley, you would actually want to go to the Lake District. <laughs> So tell us more about the nature of the area. There's an area of outstanding natural beauty around, isn't there? Yes, that's uh, up on the uh, up on the Pennines. Lovely, quiet area. It's also got um, High Cup Nick, which is one of the most fascinating geological formations in the country of a glaciated valley, taking you up onto the Crossfell, the highest mountain on in the Pennine chain, where again you've got all the rare flowers plants etc like that totally untouched just just an absolutely bit of everything anywhere you go where are the most popular places to go walking in the valley richard if you're in the actual valley itself and you, you've got the um, river eden plenty of walks around that area there if it's family walks you're looking for we've got plenty of disused railway lines that are now sort of nature reserves you can walk along those and uh, we've also got poetry paths sculpture paths. We've got walks of all descriptions, any length you want, short walks, less than an hour, long walks, three to four hours, all day walks, whatever you want. If you want to go up onto the fell side, then you've got this hike of Nick, really fascinating, well worth seeing, and as being part of the Pennine Way, very well marked out, and of course for the more adventurous Howgills, anywhere around the area. And then, for walking, the Howgills themselves aren't a well-known area. Well, no, the Howgills are sort of, from a walking point of view, virtually nobody actually goes there. They're virtually unknown. But there's some absolutely superb walks through, like, Wild Boar Fell and down Borrowdale. And you can go there and you might not see anybody all day. The views and the walking is absolutely fantastic. I mean, you can, I've done it before, but you leave T-Bay, walk up onto the top of the fells there above T-Bay and the Howgills, and you might see a couple of people. And you're not far then from civilization either. So you can have a great walk, and then you get back down, and there's always a welcoming pub, tea shop, somewhere within easy reach of you. So you can have a really good day out. One of the nice things of being upon those, those particular areas is, like Len says, it's dead quiet. You're practically on your own, but you can get to the top. And you can look down on the M6 and see all the hustle and bustle going down the M6. You can't <laughs> hear anything. It's just part so peaceful, so quiet. And you think the rest of the world is all so busy down there. It's, uh, it's really enjoyable that way. And we've got some long-distance trails passing through the Eden Valley as well. Well, you've got two main ones. You've got the Pennine Way, which runs through the area, comes across from Cow Green through a across to High Cup, Nick, down through Dufton, and it sort of goes back on itself a bit up to Dunfell and Crossfell, through to Alton. Yes. You've got the Sea to Sea, 
which runs through Kirby Stephen and over past the Nine Standards, which is another good walk, up over towards Tan Hill there. And those are the two major long-distance walks. We also have some lesser-known ones, like Lady Anne's Way, for instance, which comes up through the Eden Valley, but starts at Skipton and finishes at Penrith. And then there's a few others. There's the Westmoreland Way, there's the Ravenbow Way that runs through parts of Eden. Basically, those are really the main long-distance walks we have that run through this area. And at 100 miles, the Lady Anne's Way is a great walking journey. Oh, it is. It's a lovely journey. And you can see a lot of the historical sites of Eden sort of running through that because it's based on the life of Lady Anne Clifford, who was one of the richest people in the country in a day. And she actually refurbished a lot of old castles in this area. I mean, she's actually buried in Appleby Church. And you can see the Countess's pillar as you come through towards Penrith that she did all this work on places like Broome Castle, Appleby Castle and all these. And she was a very, very generous woman. It's nice to walk because it does a bit of everything. You've got low-level walks, you've got riverside walks, and you've got a little bit on the high uh, fells all included in the same walk. So you've got a full range of, of walking. And I would imagine it would be a great one as there are many places for you to split the walk up with them being well-populated and, and well-connected towns and villages. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people these days actually do these long-distance walks in small chunks. They sort of pick a bit of it and do it in a day. And believe it or not, a lot of people now do the Pennine Way like this do the bit from Cow Green to Dufton and then go home and come back and do the next bit a couple of weeks later. I suppose many people these days don't have the time to, to do a long-distance walk all in one go, so doing it over numerous days is a, is a great way to do the trail. Yes, uh, I would say so. It depends, you know, if you're not going out to break any records or anything like that, then you get a lot more out of it that way. Take your time, take in the scenery, have a good day at it. Plenty of places to refresh yourselves afterwards and to start an accommodation if you wanted a couple of days break to start again when you're ready. Richard, Len, thanks for coming on our podcast. And you'll be surprised to know, I'm sure, that links to more information about the Eden Valley are on the show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog. Whether you call them the Scafells, the Scarfells or the Scorefells, what we're talking about is a collection of fells in the Western Lake District, which includes England's highest mountain. They are the remains of an ancient supervolcano, which erupted some 400 million years ago. Many people walk to the top of Scarfell Pike every year, but most perhaps pay little thought to the people whose lives are shaped, moulded and touched by these rugged and beautiful landscapes. So fresh from his successful film The Cairngorms in Winter, filmmaker Terry Abraham is currently undertaking many nights camped out in the deepest, darkest Lake District for his new film, Life of a Mountain, Scarfell Pike. And I'm pleased to say, in between filming trips, Terry's managed to find some time to be at the end of the telephone. Terry, great to see you on the podcast. Thank you, you're welcome. So you've now moved from filming in the Cairngorms to the Lake District. So is it any different to filming in the Cairngorms? Um, generally easier, because obviously it's not such a big and remote area. Hmm. So it's... You know, I'm not, I'm not really walking any more than six, seven miles in a day on average. It's, it's probably more often like three or four miles at most. So I tend to like base camp for a couple of nights in a particular location where I'm, I'm after some specific shots if I get lucky with the weather. And then I may head out on a day walk from there and grab some shots or then I pack up and then I move somewhere else and that might only be like a three, four mile walk away. And then, you know, I kind of do like a circuit really around the area. Or I'll stick to certain parts of the Scorefells 
So, for example, um, just recently, and almost still at this point, at this time of year, the sun sets looking down Eskdale, so it lights up that side, the southern side of the Scorefells, and doesn't on the north side, on the Washwater side. So I'll be, the last two, three months, I've been heavily involved in that area of the Scorefells around Great Moss and from Hardknot, because that's where all the best scenes are to capture. And as we get into spring and late winter and so on, it will shift round towards um, Wasdale. So I'll be around that area in the next month or so, you know, capturing that special light as it hits the fells, if it does at least, anyway, weather permitting. <laughs> and it's the same same principle for dawn as well, you know, because it's coming up from the east, but it's a different part of the horizon. So I've got to know the whole area, and particularly the Scorefells, intimately, to the point now it's it's become a very good friend. I would like to say I know it like the back of my hand, but there's always little uh, nuances to the place that surprise me, and I've never spotted before, and it gives a certain view and that kind of thing. But generally, yeah, I, I can walk along in the mist there on the top to know exactly where I am because I, I recognise that boulder, recognise the colour of the stones on the path recognize the way the grass is growing around in a certain area and, and even bogs so they all help <laughs> now that knowledge is what a normal tv crew doesn't have it mm. with, with their turning up doing the nice and easy stuff and then toddling off mm. I can, I, yeah I, I can appreciate that obviously um you're doing something different yeah i mean they they'll turn up get their shots and it does look nice the lake district looks nice in any weather to you know to the human eye yeah but in terms if you're looking at it from a a photographer's point of view, which is how I how I treat my video work. You know, it's about capturing the right scene at the right time with the right composition with the right light. You know, for, in photography, they call it chasing the light, and that's what I endeavour to do. So, yes, they may turn up and go, "What water looks nice with scorefold looming above it on a grey, miserable day." I take one look and think that's rubbish because it looks very grey and flat, and I know it can look a lot better in certain conditions so yes i could probably you know if it was just say a seasonal shoot i could have had it done in a week mm. but it's taken me a whole season because i'm constantly chasing the light going to different places and that's not to say I'm looking for the nice weather all the time far from it you know I'm, I'm trying to give a true reflection of the fell itself so even in poor weather i'm, I'm there filming anyway and it's surprising how nice some of the shots can look in in genuinely poor weather you know with black skies and that kind of thing can look very, very dramatic. And then you get a bit of that, that light that shafts through the clouds and hits a particular spot on the fells and so on. And that's when it, it does boost the morale when that happens. And so it's, you know, it's not always pointless going out there in poor weather, but I endeavor to go there when the conditions are right. And, and I'll, you know, if that means sat in a tent for two days waiting, then I sit in a tent for two days waiting. <laughs> And that's what makes the film different. Um, well, I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think so. It's, it's all it's all normal to me because you know you've got to remember I'm looking at it from originally as a backpacker. Yeah. You know the the video side of things that I do now it was a hobby. Fortunately for me, it's become my career. So I'm always looking at things in what backpackers would see when they're camped out on the fells that they all talk about and inspire people with to the joys of wild camping. So I'm I'm just capturing that basically, in all weathers, and I suppose in in that respect, 
people will, particularly TV crews and stuff, may look at me and think, you know, the guy's nuts. Why the hell is he camped out there in those conditions? <laughs> but then, you know, I'll get that 20-second shot, and they'll be like, wow, look at that. And I'm going, yeah, see, it was worth it. Yeah. But I love it. You know, I thrive on it. I thrive on the whole challenge of it all. It really gives me um, a real buzz. It's a, it's a drug to me, really. My wife thinks I'm obsessed, but she's <laughs> used to it now. As long as the bills are paid, she's happy. <laughs> So how much of an idea do you have before you go out about what you want to film? And how much of it is, and I don't want to sound derogative about this, but no. look at the draw from the point of view of you spotting a shot, which is fantastic, but it wasn't the shot that you actually wanted. That's, yeah, it probably amounts to about 30%, a third yeah. or so. Um, the rest is look. Mm. But I do feel like I make my own look because <laughs> there's quite often days where the forecast will indicate it's going to be very poor. And it's actually the total opposite. Or they say it's going to be poor, but it's not that bad. And, it, and it's still rather dramatic and beautiful what you're looking at. Also, being in those right places at the right time, you know, to, to use a phrase, well, you know, that's very, very true. You know, I'll go to that spot and I'll bloody wait for it, you know, for that shot to come. And if it really does look like it's not going to happen, then I don't bother. And I can give you an example. This was in um, September, I think it was, late September. And I made a camp on Seathwaite Fell. It's a beautiful fell, little visited by the masses because they're all marching past Sprinkling Tarn on their way to the score fells. <laughs> um, delightful fell, so I, I made a camp there, but the, the weather was appalling. It was just thick clag. It was really windy and wet. And it got me a bit down. I'd already been there 24 hours or so. And I thought, well, I wanted to get some talking headshots of the public on the summit. So I thought, well, give me something to do one day, even though the weather was poor. So I left, you know, left my camp and everything, and went and hiked to Scorefield Pike Summit. And the shots to come back we were really, really good, even though it was a grey, miserable day. And in a roundabout way, I nearly didn't go and do that, but I'm glad I did, because again, it gave a true reflection of the fell with the public's appetite to get up there and summit it, or their love for it, or whatever the weather. So I go back to my tent. I'm all happy. Next day, I was moving on to do a camp on S Pike. I got to S Pike. The day was a bit rough. It was a bit exposed where I camped, but I'm used to it to a degree now. Makes me shudder now when I'm at home, but when I'm out there, you know, yeah, whatever, this is nothing. I've had worse. And then the next morning, and for the next three days, woke to a perfect cloud inversion, just a pure sea, uninterrupted sea of cloud to all points of the compass. With just the fells poking out. It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, the forecast didn't even say that. Because mm. I did have an internet signal. They weren't indicating anything like that was going to happen. They just said, you know, just clag all day from sky down to the bottom. But no, just in the valley bottoms, the tops poking out. It was absolutely stunning. And um, I couldn't believe that lasted for like three days. And I, was, I think that was the second or third occasion that happened to me as well in the area. So, you see, you, it's, that's where I'm coming from, like, you you fight on, you make your own look. You know, I could have, I was a bit down, but I carried on. I still stuck to a plan that I wanted, some shots that I wanted. I was going to get them, but I ended up getting something even better just by being out there. So there's a version of the film going to be shown at the Sheffield Adventure Film Festival in April. And in the preview clip I've seen, there's some fantastic cloud inversions, terrific time-lapse, and the impeccable Mark Richards. Mm, yeah, lovely guy. In fact, the uh, 
the story I just described where I camped on S Pike is um, where I arranged to meet Mark, who I don't think he's wild camped before. So he got hold of a load of gear and um, he couldn't have had better conditions for it because when, yeah. when he turned up to meet me, it was when the clouding version was on and it stayed like that. And um, it was absolutely beautiful. And he's, a, he's a lovely guy. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. I, I describe Mark to people that have not met him as a bit of... Uh, a jovial Santa Claus, <laughs> you know, he's so jovial, and full of life and enthusiasm, mm. and he'll talk to anybody and everybody. He's a lovely guy, lovely, great to be with, and it was it was nice to be with somebody that has such a a lot of affection for the Lake District as a whole, not just the Scorfells. And it was interesting hearing his points of view of the area and what he likes and doesn't like, and so on, and. You know, we'd talk about that, but we often agreed on most things anyway, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, it was, he spent a couple of nights with me up there, if I remember right, two nights on this bike. We had a fantastic time. And, and you know, it made it easier for us for filming because I wanted to film him out on the fell. So I didn't have to carry my 30-odd kilo pack with me. I could just chuck, you know, leave the tent up, chuck the stuff that I don't need in there and just take my video gear and go off on a wander with him. So we're looking forward to the complete finished film. When and where is the premiere? Um, 7.30pm, 10th of May, at the Reghead Centre near Penrith. Um, tickets are on sale now. Um, Get them while you can. Yeah, I, I, I suggest people do, yeah, because I think they're shifting now big time. And also the film, is an abridged version of the film, is going to be shown at the Keswick Mountain Festival. It will be on the opening night at the Theatre by the Lake. I believe it's Thursday, and it will be at 5.30. And um, I'll be there to do a talk, questions and answers, and a couple of other guests that feature in the film. I'm not naming them at the moment, but they'll be there as well. And then, of course, there's the, uh, the clip I've done for Sheffield Adventure Film Festival. And then after that, who knows? It depends who calls and whatever. I think we can say something will do. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't take anything for granted. I'm. I'm happy with the way the films coming together. I'm happy with the way the editing's coming together and all the ideas that were there thrown up in the air all start to settle like the pieces of a jigsaw. And now a picture's beginning to form as I put the pieces together. And and I'm really, really pleased with it so far. I'm. I'm very, very proud of it so far and um, even though I've got another couple of months to go filming I'm, I'm hoping I've done Cumbrians proud and I hope a lot of people out there that are new to the Lake District particularly will find it inspiring and engaging and, and people that are familiar with the area they'll probably find it enlightening to a point as well because you know got Mountain Rescue featured in there as well um, that's interesting an interesting chapter mm. farmers climbers shepherdess poet painter you name it they're all in this it's quite it's quite a juggle trying to squeeze everything in and do everybody justice but not affect the sort of pace and mood of the film so but it's thankfully it's coming together nicely excellent terry thanks for joining me on the podcast today you're welcome thank you very much and as terry said tickets for the premiere and for the session at keswick are already going fast and there's a sneak preview at the Sheffield Adventure Film Festival in April, and you can get to their website from the show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog. (laughs) 
Well, another packed podcast draws to a close. But remember, we've another this month featuring all the winners of the Countryfile Magazine Awards 2013. So do please follow us on Audioboo or subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you don't miss an edition. And now we're on Mixcloud too. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking. <laughs>